Hallelujah. Who would like to go first tonight with their questions? Sister Gladys, hold on a second. Now, I need you to use the microphone. They're not going to hear you. It's just so that way we can hear you on the, vid on the, on the video. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't, worry, don't worry about it. You're just going to hold it. You, you, you're just going to hold it. You're going to be all right. Just, no, 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 just, just, just make sure you hold it to your mouth so that way he gets a good no. signal back there, okay? That's okay. Um, um, I'm pretty sure that everybody had the same question maybe that I have, but when I read and I arrive to the uh, chapter, I mean, verse 13 to 16. Yes. Um, these uh, people try to exercise this guy. Um, what happened to them that they ain't naked and wounded? I think I believe that is because they did not have the Holy Spirit. Is that what it is? Yeah. But um, can this happen to Christians? <laughs> <laughs> I know that when you 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 accept Jesus Christ, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I know that. Right. But I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, first of all, this cannot happen to true Christians, okay? True believers should not be afraid of demons or be afraid of anything because obviously the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so we don't have to be afraid of anything. There's no need to be afraid. The Bible declares also that Jesus made a public spectacle of the devil and he cast down all principality and all powers. Therefore, for the child of God who is indwelled with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't need to be worried about anything. Now, this situation here, these are not Christians, okay? You got to look at verse 13. Look what it says. It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. That's the key right there. The first key to the whole to the whole situation that occurred, it is that they were these itinerant. That word itinerant, it means those who just who wander about, okay? And they were Jewish exorcists. Now, what happens is you got to remember um, one of the one of the bad things, okay? And we and I think we talked about this in one of the classes, but. One of the bad things that happens when you have the, and it was when we were talking about, I think, I think Anna asked a question about religious, and, and, and it was, you know, I thought, you know, being religious was, was a good thing. And we were talking, and I, and I explained, I said, being religious is good in, cer in, in certain areas, but when you become superstitious, it's not a good thing. And what happens is with the Jewish people, a lot of them become superstitious. Well, we know that Ephesus is this place where they have all of these superstitions, and I mean, it's, it's a bigger city. Corinth was a big place, but it's even bigger than Corinth. I mean, more important. And they have all of these different things that are, you know, that these spiritual, you know, superstitions that are going on. So these Jewish people here, what they were doing is they're like gypsies. And what they do is they go around, you know, like fortune telling, stuff like that. And the, what they would do is they would go and they would, you know, literally they'll take money from you and we're going to, you know, heal this person. We're going to do some type of ceremony with some type of symbolism. And so what we understand is that you're absolutely correct. They didn't have the Holy Ghost. They didn't have Jesus. They were just going around and they saw you know like the, the scripture goes on and says that Paul's doing these great miracles and so you know what the devil tries to do right he always want to bring in a counterfeit because he wants to pull the attention away from you know away from what God is really doing and so if you remember a couple of chapters ago like chapter 16 when the apostle Paul they were they were in the city and there was the girl who was demon possessed and remember that she was prophesy she, she was you know prophesying and she was saying you know these are men of God you know that come in to tell us the way of you know the Lord and all this and that well it was the same thing, that same counterfeit, that same antichrist spirit is right here again. And what is going on is that they're like, you know, the enemy is, you know, through these people saying, hey, you know, he's doing all of these great miracles. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go ahead and use the same words he uses. So we're going to so we're going to say and then what is it? What, I mean, his, his, the words, the words that he uses that we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. 
So he gave them this, this little chant or whatever, and they figured, you know what, it's in the words. You know, it's like abracadabra. You know, it's like the, 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 that's exactly what it is. It's the same exact thing. We laugh because it seems so childish, but that's the exact mindset. They figure it's not about a relationship with Christ. It's not about being a Christian. It's just about words that we use. And so if we use the exact words in the correct way, we give all the respect to whatever, then guess what? These demons are going to go. So that's what happens in this situation. Go ahead. Is that like, um, like today's televangelists where they're like talking about call us and for twenty nine ninety five we'll get you your miracle and stuff. Like, wouldn't that be the same thing? And they're using you know Christ and all you know the word to say that you know we're gonna go ahead and you're gonna call us and we're gonna make your miracle come true. That, that is absolutely correct. And that is, <laughs> dangerous is a good word. That's blasphemy is what that is. And um, it is an incorrect use of the scriptures. Absolutely, 100%, because I think it was, a, well, obviously a couple of chapters ago, but there was a man by the name of Bar-Jesus, I believe, and he was, and he was wanting that, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit when he saw, you know, the apostles laying hands on people and they were receiving the baptism. And he was like, yo, you know, I, wanna, you know, I want that gift, you know. And he's like, I'm going to give you money. And he's like, look, your money perish with you. You ain't got no part in this. You know, this is not something that you can buy. And so absolutely, it's, it's, the, same, it's the same kind of thing. And, that, and that, that's why it's so important that we, first of all, read the scriptures. Because if we read the scriptures, then when those things start to happen, the Holy Spirit brings it to our remembrance but you know what the problem is this is the problem the problem is that people get so turned on by stuff like that because there's so much looking for something supernatural and they're not realizing that that's not it and 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 that's the reason why these people are on television it costs a lot of money to be on television okay and these guys you know they have this money coming from somewhere guess who it's coming from it's it's coming from all of these people who are you know buying into that stuff and so absolutely you know the church has got to wake up big time on the other hand, in another church, I, a pastor once taught us yes. that um, you needed to be prepared and you got to be careful when you touch somebody else and you're going to pray for them because if whatever they have is stronger and you're not pre well prepared, you could get it. And that was Pastor Rosado. <laughs> See why 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 you gotta say names? See that's not you know we now now we got now we gotta throw the D, the CD away because you know, look I'm gonna tell you right now. Okay okay listen. Okay 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 okay. All right let me let 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 me let let me say this okay this this is what I'm gonna say. Nowhere does the Bible record, and Pastor Lewis is here to confirm this, and other people, I just call him, he, you know, he's, he's one of the pastors, I know he's well-versed in the scriptures, but there is no scripture that will support a demon jumping from one person to another person. No scripture. There are demons that got cast out of a person into pigs, but not other people, okay? When the scriptures, when Jesus speaks, Jesus says that when an unclean spirit goes out of a person and he says that spirit goes out of that person and look what that spirit does. That spirit goes around and he comes back to that place. He comes back to the same place to check it out. 
Demons don't want to jump from her to you in that sense, okay? That, that's not what this thing is about. Now, if you are a Christian, okay, this is, this is the difference. If you are not a Christian, maybe there is an account that is not in the Bible where someone who was not a Christian, this demon jumped into this other person. You know, you, probably most of you saw The Exorcist, you know, and you remember how that whole situation was. You know, the demon jumped out of the girl into the priest, and, you know, it was all crazy situation. And, again, that is not in the Bible, okay? That is not Scripture. So, here would be a prime opportunity for the demon to jump out of that person that he was possessed, that he possessed, and jump into these other people. And that isn't what happened. The demon just beat him up. That was what happened. So there's no scriptural. Right. Well, if that, that's the implication, that would, that would only apply to non-Christians, okay? Now, let me just go back to the other thing, which is about being prepared. It is obviously important that you are prepared. You shouldn't be walking around and just not prepared. But what does it mean to be prepared? As a Christian, you should be praying. As a Christian, you should be in the Word of God. As a Christian on a norm, if you think about it, Jesus and his disciples, the disciples were casting out demons. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they couldn't cast out this one demon out of this person. And what happened? Did Jesus comes down and the father of the kid is like yo man I, I you know these guys been praying over my son forever and they can't get this demon out of him and Jesus says well these don't come out but by fasting and prayer right so there's obviously another level of preparation that needs to be in certain scenarios and so with that situation that's different you may not be able to cast the demon out but to be afraid that a demon is going to jump on you no matter how unprepared you are like if you weren't fasting that demon didn't jump on the disciples and beat him up because he can't because these people are God's property now maybe they didn't you know have their fasting and praying and their faith wasn't in order or whatever the case is and that just meant that that person didn't get delivered that didn't mean that they become bound okay pastor lewis you want to share something yes number one is that there's a problem going in churches today today and is the is manipulation witchcraft what it means is to manipulate it was in from the beginning was called pharmacia which is today's pharmacy because with, with pharmacy products, make you do certain things. They can put you to sleep. They can do whatever. So that's what witchcraft really is. And a lot of pastors are using these things. Um, and specifically, uh, specifically, they're saying that if, but if I give you permission, it's okay for you to pray for them. Because it's, they want you to depend on, on the pastor. So it's a bi big mistake that a lot of them are doing. And I praise God because we don't practice those things here. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that... The <laughs> The other thing that I wanted to say is that we are ambassadors of, of Jesus Christ. So that means that we have in, in, in Washington, Cuba has an embassy. That means that even from United States to go in, they have to ask Cuba permission to go in, and it's here in the United States. That means that I am Jesus, whatever I am. If I'm at work at that moment, I am Jesus Christ. I'm ambassador of Jesus Christ. So if I'm an ambassador of Jesus and a demon comes, he's not seeing me. He's seeing Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that that's only for people that has nothing to do with right. God. If you are if you are washed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you will be able to do any of these things. Right. Amen. Amen. So yeah, so let's let's erase that bad teaching, okay? <laughs> Christians, de demons ain't gonna jump out of you know someone who is. If you're a Christian, now, if you're not a Christian, you know, hey, you know whatever. I can't I can't speak for that. You know I can tell you what happened to non Christians here trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. They got beat up, sent out naked. They have a bad situation. So obviously, you know, we see that there. But the other teaching, Scripture doesn't support that. So, but you do need to be prepared, okay? <laughs> so be, be ready. But I do have to say that um, because I, I've been like an intercessor for many, many years. Yes. And if you do, 
I mean, there are some spirits that are very, very strong. Yes. And if you're not prepared, it will drain you. It will have you, you know, or whatever. So that may have been what he have meant because right. we've always been taught when we do intercessory, you know, you got to be, of course, like you said, you have to be prepared. Right. But it is so that, you know, it can drain your spirit. I mean, there have been times, like, I have prayed and really had to just go lay down because that, that spirit was so strong. Right. So that may have been what right. he meant instead of <coughs> that it would jump on you. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And I, and, and, I, and I don't want us to put any words in no one's mouth. And so make sure we say that very loudly here on, on the video, on the tape here, okay? We are not saying that anybody said that demons are going to jump inside anyone, okay? But we do know that there, there definitely has to be preparation, okay? And, and, but preparedness is the lifestyle of a Christian. And I think that that is what the, the lesson that Jesus taught his disciples when they were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, that's what it was about, is you got to be prepared, man. You know, you don't, it, it, you know they, they were excited because everywhere they went, you know, when he sent them out the first time, they're casting out all kind of demons. Everything is just flying out. They're like, yo, man, we got demons running out, you know, away from us. Sickness is leaving. And he's like, all right, you know, y'all just don't be excited because your name is written in heaven. That's what you need to do. And so, you know, they get all stirred up about that. And Jesus leaves them for a little bit to go and get, you know, some greater revelation. And, you know, it comes down and they're not in, in that scenario where they're trying to cast out this demon and it's not happening. And so ultimately, I think that that is what we got it. We have to understand as Christians, you know, if you're a truly a child of God, man, I mean, you know, you should be prayed up. It shouldn't be something that, you know, you got to go. Now, mind you, there's some situations and I, I'll give you one testimony before we move on. Um, Dr. Lester Summerall, he was known for deliverance ministry. And he was, you know, he, he wrote a book. I, I can't remember the name of it, something about demons. And it was one of the books we had to read in Bible college. And so in, in, in the first chapter of the book, he gives a testimony of this girl that was in like Brazil or something like that. And she was demon possessed. And so he saw, he heard about her on the news. And, you know, he was reading and he's in his house and he's praying for this girl because this girl was like, I mean, seriously having issues. I mean, like she was waking up with bite marks on her body because of this demon possession that was so intense in her in her life well he started praying and he's praying he's like god you know deliver her and he's like no you go over there and he's like you know lord i'm all the way over here you want me to go over there and he's like you really wanted to be he said don't pray to me to set her free you go over there and you you know you bring the your dr lester summerall bring deliverance to her life so long story short he goes takes the plane trip and he goes over there to you know cast his demon out of this girl well when he gets there he's praying for like a couple of hours and this demon would not come out of this girl so he said you know what give me a day and i'm gonna come back and so he went he fasted you know for the rest of that day and the next day he came Came back and cast the demon out of the girl so the point is that there are some situations you know that you've got to be prepared for and if you remember um, um pastor janice stringer who came here a few years ago she passed away but she was talking about when she was in a missions trip and as she was on this missions trip she was she was given the testimony of how she had the vision of the principality over the city that was there and the lord is like okay so you know what did you you know what did you come here to do you know and she's like well we came here to do this and she's like look you know you don't live here you know you got to get these people here engaged in this spiritual warfare because it's not just you know one time you walk in and everything is wonderful you know it's something that is a, you know I mean it's a progressive thing that the body of Christ has to learn so those are very you know very important lessons when it comes to being prepared but being prepared means that you know being prepared you know to step into those situations and you may run into a scenario where you know what you gotta you know step out if you're not you know in a constant you know fasting state you know where you, you know you're fasting once a week or whatever the case is you know you need to you know be prepared in those in those scenarios and 
even in Dr. Lester Summerall's situation, he went over there, he prayed, and he said, you know what, I've been praying, I've been seeking the Lord, but this takes another level. And so he did, you know, what he saw in the scriptures and came and, you know, cast the, de the devil out of the girl. And um, it's a good thing. Amen? All right, so we're moving on. Next question. Somebody else have another question or comment really quickly before I go because this is... Yeah, fasting. That's that. That's part. That's part of the denial of the flesh. You know, it's, it's it's the tough part, but you know, it's part of the denial of the flesh. Amen. All right. No more questions. Going once, going twice. Yes. Why is um, way capital capitalized in chapter in verse nine? Because it's 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 talking about the way, like Christians. That, that's, what, that's what it's saying. He's talking about the way. It was like talking about the church. Okay. So it's just giving it a, a proper, proper noun. There you go. All right. So we're going to go beginning in verse 1, chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now when the men were about, now the men were about 12 in all. So I want to stop there. So we see here this first situation, this first um, thing that happens here is Paul enters into Ephesus. When he gets there, he runs into some people that are called disciples, okay? Now, in studying this out, looking at, you know, the word disciple, we automatically think these are Christians, okay? That's what we automatically, these are Christians, and that's just what it is. Now, what I want to say is this, okay? I, I'm not here, and, and I cannot, and in, in, in my right mind, judge whether these people were saved or not, okay? Because I, I, I can't judge that, all right? Here's what I know is that they were disciples. And what disciples means is it means a learner. It means someone who was devoted to a certain teaching. And that's what they were, 100%. They were devoted to some teaching. They, they had heard the teaching of John the Baptist, and they weren't even that much well-versed in the teaching of John the Baptist because the Apostle Paul has to tell them, this is what John the Baptist said. So if you were baptized in his, his, his baptism, you're living in Ephesus, you should have heard already about, you know, Christ dying and all of this stuff. And so they weren't even that well-versed. This is what, but we do know that they were devoted to whatever it was that they were devoted to, that they're called disciples. So they were learners, they were students. And what happens is when we look at this scenario, it sounds kind of similar to chapter 18. Remember when Apollos, he was there and he he was devoted and everything, but he only knew of the baptism of John. You remember that? We talked about that last week. And so we look at these two scenarios and, you know, it's easy to say, well, Apollos, you know, he, he, they, you know, he was not, you know, baptized again and all this stuff. And why is this important? It's important because most people don't think that they were saved. And this is why, because when you look at Apollos, Apollos didn't get baptized. He got corrected. And after he was corrected, he was accepted right into the church and he was good to go. So he had a revelation. He got the, clear, the clarity on the rest of the Christian faith. And after that, he was, he, he was received and he was a great expounder of the word and he continued on. These people were different. They did something that wasn't, that, that wasn't you know, normal. People didn't just get baptized again just because they were going to get baptized. But there's a reason here why they're getting baptized. And so it is, this is the reason why they say that they don't think that they were really saved because um, the, 
the apostle Paul, he asked him a question that's the most important question for a Christian. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Listen, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not saved, okay? Now, I didn't say if you, I didn't say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. That's, that was a problem in the Pentecostal church way back in the days, is that if you didn't speak in tongues, that was the fifth part of your sanctification and all this. No, no, no. I didn't say if you didn't speak in tongues. I said if you didn't receive the Spirit, then you are not saved because when you, are, when you are saved, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so when you receive salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you and you may, you may or you may not, we taught on this before as well, you may have an experience where you speak in tongues or you prophesy or the Holy Spirit overflows you like that. You may have that experience, you know, or you, sh you should have some experience like that. But I'm not going to say that everybody's going to speak in tongues because I don't see that as being necessary or vital, but we do have to have the Spirit of God. And having the Spirit of God is, is not just based on those experiences. It's based on the fruit of your life. It's based on you walking in the power of the Spirit. Because what is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is for us to be witnesses, for us to be able to demonstrate the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Well, when Paul comes to these people that are disciples, he asks them the question, he says, okay, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. This is why they weren't very well versed in John's teaching because John clearly taught very clear. He made it very crystal, crystal clear for everybody. He said, listen, there's one that comes after me. He's going to baptize with you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is what John communicated. And so they didn't know that. So they weren't very well versed in the teaching of John, but they knew that there was something that, you know, they were committed to and they were devoted to. So Paul goes on to them and he gives them this little breakdown of the whole repentance. And then they do something that's wonderful. As soon as they hear this, they don't wait, but they're baptized immediately. They're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. After that, the Apostle Paul in verse 6, he lays hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And this... <clears throat> This right here is an apostolic symbolization that, that now these people, they're part of the body of Christ. Now they're definitely unified with the church. They have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and now the Spirit of God is moving through them, and now they're able to walk and grow in their fellowship with the church of Jesus Christ that is there in Ephesus. And so I would imagine, it doesn't say this, but I would, I would conclude that they probably began to follow Paul and went with him as he went, and he began to share the scriptures. Thank you so much. And he went to, he, he went to share the scriptures. In, the, in verse 8 it says, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. So, so far, this is the longest period of time that we have seen the Apostle Paul in a synagogue. Now, he may have been in cities for longer, but in a synagogue, he's there for three months. That's a long time for Paul because normally he's there for, what, and I think the last time he was there for three Saturdays, and that was it. He made it a month, about, about a month, and he had to go because they were like, no, nah, we can't hear this guy anymore. So, He's there for three months, and he is boldly. He's not there whispering. He's there boldly convicted of what he's teaching, and he's doing this for three months reasoning. Again, we talked about that word reasoning, that, that word that we get dialogue from. So going back and forth, hearing questions, answering questions, asking questions, giving answers. He's going back and forth with them, persuading. He's communicating to them the things concerning the kingdom of God because, remember, he's teaching in the synagogue. The Jewish people are waiting for the reestablishment of the kingdom of God, and so he's communicating with them, listen, this is the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ came. He died. He purchased us, you know, the church. And so now we need to walk and let the kingdom be established in us. So he communicates that, makes it very clear to them, and he preaches there. And then in verse 9 it says, but when some were hardened, because this is what's going to happen with the Jewish people, obviously, in this situation, some of them were hardened and they did not believe, but they spoke evil of the way, which is the church who Paul is representing before the multitude. What does the apostle do? Does he start picketing? 
and starts arguing with them. That isn't what he does. He does what? He says, all right, I preached over here. He departs from them, and he withdrew his disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, it's important that we notice what he does. He goes on ahead, and he makes the separation. Up until this time, the church is meeting in the synagogue. They're all coming together in that synagogue, in that same place. The, the, the Jews who didn't believe yet and the, and the Jews who did believe. All of the, everybody was all in one place. When these people got hard and they started speaking bad about this whole situation and, and, and against the way, then what does he do? He says, okay, you know, we got to make the separation. We can't continue to come into the synagogue together like we're one happy family because we're not. We're not going to continue to do this because this division is going to happen. Doubt's going to start to enter in and we're going to have issues. And so the Apostle Paul, being a wise man, doesn't want to deal with that. So what does he do? He says, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to depart, and I'm taking my disciples with me. Y'all can stay here, and my we're going to separate, and we're going to go to this school of Tyrannus, which was a hall. It was a place that they went to, and, they, and, and, and most everybody believes that he taught every day from 11 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So he taught for that time, and he continued to reason in, in that synagogue, and he communicated. Now, you remember a couple of chapters ago, and I, and I believe Sister Anna asked a question because the scriptures, it was talking about how Paul, I think it was like chapter 13 or something like that, and it said the apostle Paul, he was not able, the spirit would not let him go into these certain places you remember that right that was Asia that he wasn't allowed to go to and notice where he is now now he is in Asia so the place where the spirit wouldn't let him go now he says okay now it's time for you to go into Asia and so he was there for two years while the last time we don't know he could have got killed he could have been in prison he definitely wouldn't have been in no synagogue for three months preaching boldly the way that he was and he wouldn't have been able to get into this position that he was in but now he's there and he's preaching the word of God in all it says all all who dwelt in Asia. So everybody who dwelt in Asia was hearing the word of the Lord coming forward. Awesome and powerful testimony. Verse 11 goes on to say, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them. So we see here that God is doing again. Remember what I said about Ephesus. Ephesus was a, was a city that was bigger than Corinth. It was a city that was given to idolatry. I mean, it was a, it was a place that was, was a powerful city. And so the apostle is there and he's ministering. What does God want to do? God wants to get the most glory out of his vessel that he can. And the way that he does it is he does unusual miracles. What does this mean? This is so, so vitally important because, you know, Sister Dawn was asking the question about, you know, these preachers that say this and that and send me money and I'm going to say, listen, it is important that we look at this, okay? It says that he did unusual things. It's not the usual. And if it's unusual here, it's not going to be the usual for everybody else. This was something that God did. It doesn't ever say that he did it again through him anywhere else. It doesn't say that it happened before then. God worked signs and wonders and miracles. He did all kind of great and powerful things and will continue to do those things. But he will select certain moments that he will do specific things and this was one of those moments and he went on ahead and, and it wasn't and I want you to notice the way the apostle this happened through the apostle because it wasn't even like Paul was saying okay take my handkerchief to your grandmother and she's going to be healed that wasn't what was happening these people were taking the stuff from him he was you know wiping his sweat or whatever it was and they would you know he's I mean my goodness if he's teaching from 11 to 4 that's a long time to be speaking and sharing and so they're taking these things from him and that you know and they're seeing that man people are being healed by the power of God and so this great move is 
going on. God is being glorified, exalting his name through his servant. And so then we come back to our portion where we started off with the first question. Then some of the itinerant Jews, those Jews that are traveling around, exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice it says they took it upon themselves. They didn't have a right to do this, okay? They took it. They, they decided, you know what? We saw this guy casting out demons. We see sicknesses being healed, and so we're going to take it upon ourselves to go on ahead and call on the name of Jesus. So what did they do? They they said this. They said the little, you know, the little phrase that was apparently perfect in their minds. We exercise you, or we adjure you, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did who did so. So it was these seven sons that were there casting out or trying to cast out this demon out of this man look at the response the response is and the evil spirit answered and said jesus i know and paul i know but who are you I want you to notice, because it doesn't say it here in, in this in, in my version it doesn't do it justice in most versions it doesn't but there's two different words there for no when he says jesus i know it is the is the greek word ginosko which is the word that is actually equated with a man knowing his wife sexually. Okay, so what this demon is saying, he's saying, I know him. I, I know who he is. I, I, have, I have an intimate knowledge of him because he's the one who came down here to hell and he was kicking everybody out. And he, he's the one that we know him. And then he goes on and he uses another word, epithemi, I know Paul, which means I recognize Paul. And so one word has to do with experience. The other word has to do with proximity. So it's kind of like, you, you know how you see somebody that you may work with and you see them, you see them every day. You never have a conversation with them, but you know them. You know who they are by face. You acknowledge them, which is a beautiful thing for us. Why is this important? Why am I even pointing this out? Because the reason why Paul was known is because of who Paul knew. Because Paul knew Jesus, Paul was known by the demon. The, the demon didn't know Paul outside of Christ. Understand that. And it was because Paul was clothed in what? The Holy Spirit that we are sealed with. But he was clothed in something. And that was the Jesus. And so the, the demons knew, yeah, that, that's the apostle Paul. That, that's Paul. He's the one that every time he says in the name of Jesus, we got to go because the authority of Christ is manifesting. And so he's saying, I, I know Jesus. I know the power. So what does that tell us? It is vitally important that we are intimate with Christ and that we are covered. Because what happens is in the, in the next portion of the verse, he says, so who are you? He says, I, I don't, you, when you say Jesus. Jesus, I don't, I, I see you. I, I don't see nothing telling me. I, as a matter of fact, I can talk to you and have a conversation with you and I can, I can debate with you if I wanted to. And he says, I don't know you. So after he tells them that he doesn't know them, then what the, what the Bible say in verse 16? It says, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. When I was in youth ministry, I preached a message and I said, you want to know what happened here? The reason why they left there naked is because they weren't clothed spiritually. And so all those demons did was make them look naturally how they look spiritually. That's all they did. The, all they did was make, y'all are naked right now spiritually. There's nothing on you. The, you. You are wearing nothing. You have no authority. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear your clothes off and I'm going to send you out of here embarrassed. The other word there, wounded, is the word traumatizo. Sounds like traumatized. Okay? They, they, it wasn't just external wounds. Oh, they had external wounds, but there was something that happened inside of them too because these guys, they thought, they, I mean, they were, listen, 
They were traveling. They were itin- they had they had their itinerary, okay? They had their little circle that they would go on and they would get money from this one, so they would heal that one and do this thing over here and all of this stuff. These guys were traumatized by what happened. Not only were they traumatized, but anybody else that saw this, there was something that that happened in that place. Verse 17. And it says, "This became known both to all Jews and Greeks." dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So it's beautiful when you look at this situation because you have two, you have men who are being led by the flesh. They're not in the spirit. They're being led by the flesh and the wrong spirit if they're into this, you know, witchcraft and idolatry. And then you have this other spirit that, you know, is going ahead and contradicting them. And so you see how wise God is, right? How the enemy was trying to go ahead because think about this. Remember what's happening. These people are going and they're saying, we're casting you out in the name of Jesus. So right away, the devil's like, oh, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to prove Jesus ain't got no power or authority. Right? Because guess what? I'm going to go ahead and these people are going to cast me out in the name of Jesus. I'm going to show them that Jesus don't have that authority in my, in my situation. But guess what God does? God flipped it around for good. And God says, look, you know what? Everybody heard what happened. They were like, wait a second. These guys weren't part of us. So now Jesus is being magnified. The Lord is being glorified in this. In verse 18, and many who had believed, look, look at what happens. Many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted up the value of, the, of them and it, ta- and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver so the word of the Lord grew mighty and prevailed now here's what I want you to notice in this what happens here is that this situation occurs and you gotta, and you gotta wonder why God even allows it but, but God lets us see exactly why he allows it he allows it because this is how he brought the, the cleansing to the house of the Lord. The Bible says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. That's what the book of Hebrews says. In other words, there's something that has to take place in the house of God before we see change in our community or our, soci- our society. And right here, we see this practical. We see this happening right here. Why? Because the first people who come, look what they do. Many who had believed. These are people that already said we accept Jesus. These are people who have already been coming for the last two years to the Hall of Tyrannus here in the Apostle Paul. These are the people who have already done this. See, but here was the problem, see, because this, this, this brings us back to the unusual miracles that were going on. You see, these people were real superstitious. So they saw the Apostle Paul put the apron, put the apron down or take the handkerchief off of his head, and they're like, oh, we got to take that because that has power in it. So God said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wink at your ignorance, but that's still a form of witchcraft. I heard a person one day, and, I, and it was somebody who was coming here a long time ago. They don't come here anymore, probably like six years ago, and they, were, they, they, they got pregnant, and when they were pregnant, they were worried about, um, you know, miscarrying and stuff like that. And so this person, you know, they went to a prayer meeting at somebody's house that, you know, not in this church, and they went to this prayer meeting, and this person said, listen, I'm going to pray over this, this, this little cloth here, and you need to put this under your pillow. So that way you can make sure that nothing's going to happen to you while you, you know, during your pregnancy. And I was like, what? And, and they gave him another one. This one you put in your purse. So everywhere you go, that protection is with you. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. That is witchcraft at the, at the umph level. I mean, that is ridiculous. You know, and so I communicated with the person a little bit, you know, lower tone than I am right now. And I tried to share with them, listen, you know, that's not God. You know, you, you don't need to carry that around. I mean, I, I, hey, the person prayed for you. Praise the Lord. But, you know, you don't need to be depending on a cloth because that's not it. But what was happening was that's what they were doing. That, that, that's how this happened these people had this this mindset so they're still operating in witchcraft even after two years of being in the church of paul 
Even after two years of being in this church of Paul, hearing the most profound teacher in the world. I mean, this guy would make all of us look bad. I mean, we would all just sit here with our mouth open, be lost half the time because this guy was so deep going back and forth all over the place. I mean, you got to figure if this guy taught for, you know, seven days a week from 11 to 4 for two years, that's a whole lot of word up inside of him. That's, that's a lot of stuff that he had to just pour out there. And he was doing it every day and, and it still had more. I mean, he was excited about God and, and, and the revelation that was coming. And so he's sitting there preaching this word and after two years of time this situation happens with these itinerant you know Jewish exorcists and what happens repentance comes because God shows you cannot serve God and serve idols at the same time you cannot serve the holy God that is filling you with the Holy Spirit and and releasing supernatural power and at the same time depend on all of these superstitious situations you cannot do that and so what happens is the believers the church comes and what do they do they start confessing they start saying, man, you know, we repent. You know, we've been, we, you know, we, we were going to see these itinerant Jews. You know, we were doing things that we shouldn't have been doing. And so they repent, and then what happens? Because they repented, then God begins to move throughout the city. And he does what? He begins to touch the other people because the conviction of the Holy Spirit starts right here in the church. And when we give in to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then you know what happens? The Spirit of God begins to flow. But you know what happened? You know what's happening in our days? In our days, the church is not responding to the conviction the Holy Spirit. The church is not repenting of its sin. The church is continuing to say, well, I'm not as bad. Or I'm not so bad. No, the church needs to turn away from their sin. And when we turn away from our sin and we stop, you know, candy coating our lives and stop justifying ourselves. And you know what happens? The spirit of God is free to move upon those loved ones that we want to see saved. The spirit of God is free to move in our workplaces. The spirit of God is free to do that. Because what? Because we bowed our hearts and we repented of our sin right so the scripture shows us it shows us the plan so the first thing that happens is the, the believers repent they tell their deeds they confess they're not over here faking they're boohooing god forgive us we don't want to be like these guys leaving naked and wounded so they they want to do things right and then the scripture goes on to tell us that the rest of the people who practice magic the rest of the people in this city, they began to move. So now we see a great revival that is taking place in this city. Verse 21 goes on and it says, when these things were accomplished. So, so it's, it's beautiful because this is what God wants. This is what God brought the apostle Paul to Ephesus for. He brought him there so that way he could show himself as being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that all of their beliefs and all of that witchcraft and idolatry and all that stuff that they were stuck in, that wasn't nothing in comparison to the one true and mighty God. So these things are accomplished and Paul purpose in the spirit. He's ready to move on. He's ready to go to the next thing. And he said, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he has a heart to go to Rome. He's been to all these other places. Now he wants to go to Rome, to the capital to the main city to go over there and evangelize, and we'll see him as he ends up there. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. So there were two people who were serving him. So notice what it says. They were serving him. It was Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And we know that he was there for about three years. So if you figure he was in the synagogue for three months, he was there preaching in, in, in the school of Tyrannus for another two years, and he tells the Ephesian elders when he's leaving that, he's been, that he was there for three years. So you figure it's probably another nine months that he was there, and he was speaking, and he was ministering um, <clears throat> in Asia, making sure that he continued and finished the work that he was there to do. And about that time, there arose a great commotion. Here again, we're seeing about the end of the ministry time. It's time for the apostle to go on ahead and move. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, who is the god of that, the goddess of that city, 
brought no small profit to the craftsmen. This guy was probably the leader of all of the group of, of the guys who were making all of these um, shrines to this, pro, to, to, this, um, to this goddess. And he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. So number one, we see that money is becoming an issue here. Moreover, you see in here, not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute again there's money issues there but also the temple of the great goddess diana so now we go from the money issue what is what is just money now to the grandeur of their city and many and may be despised and her magnificence destroyed whom all asia and the world worship and so now because ephesus was such a great place and everybody knew that they housed this temple and they had this you know th this was where everybody wanted to go that's where the worship was so now if 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 this continued on the way that it was, now everybody, Ephesus wasn't going to be such a big place. Now, now all of the fame was going to be moved away from Ephesus. It was going to be moved away from the, you know, the, the goddess Diana. It was going to be moved away from all of that. It was going to be now focused on Christ. And so he tells them that. And then what happens now when they heard this? Their money's going to be messed up. Their fame is going to be messed up. They hear this. And what do they do? They cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So now they're like, they, they were happy, they were all right for the last three years. They were good. Everything was wonderful. But now when their money's going to be messed up and their fame is going to be taken away, and now all that, now when that gets attacked, now all of a sudden the whole scenario changes. And so he goes on to say, so the whole city was filled with confusion. Look, that's all it is, is confusion. There wasn't anything substantial that was there. It was just confusion. They were just confused because everything was good and now everything's not good. So now this confusion enters the city and they rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Erastus, Macedonians, Paul traveled, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. It's beautiful to know this. And then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. That the, 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 what's beautiful is that the apostle Paul had people that loved him enough that said look man I know that this is like 25,000 people in there right now and you probably could preach the greatest message and all of that but you're going to get killed if you go in there and we can't let you do that because it you know we we know that we need you and just don't go in there so they wouldn't let him go in there Paul was like man I got to go in there you know they got my guys in there you know and he, they, they're going to be okay because they want you but if you don't go in there it's all going to you know die down or whatever the case is so they don't let the apostle Paul go in there some therefore cried one thing some another for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together look at that these people are together they're crying out they don't even know what they're together for they they they, they don't even have a, a a singleness of purpose in this situation they're just confused they don't know what's going on and so they don't know why they're together not all of them some of them know why some of them don't know why because of what because there's all this deception because really the root of this is what it's the love of money the love of money is the root to all evil. And so these guys, Demetrius, his whole problem was that he saw, okay, I'm the one who is like, you know, the main guy here. And if these guys are not making money, I ain't making no money. And you know where we make our money from? We make our money by making these shrines because people want to come and have these shrines. So if we don't have them, then guess what? People aren't going to come here asking for these shrines. We're going to have no money. That's what this whole thing started about. So that's why there was this confusion that was going on. So then after they have this confusion, they don't know why they came together. Verse 33, he says, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. And not just defense, but he wanted to apologize. And so most of the of the of the 
theological commentators that I read on on this particular Alexander here, they don't think that he was a Christian. They think that he was a Jewish person. And the reason why he was pushed forward by the Jewish people was so he could apologize and he could tell the Ephesians, listen, we're not these Christians. We're not part of this way. We're good. We, you know, y'all worship who you want to worship. We're not part of this whole situation here. We still go into the synagogue. There's only 10 of us, but we're there in the synagogue, okay? So that, that's what he wanted to communicate. So they, so they, you know, they pushed him out there, but there's still this racial issue. So verse 34 tells us, but when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours. Glory to God. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You understand? Two hours is a long time. Okay, people, we, you know, folks get tired of worshiping after 30 minutes. Okay, they get tired of singing. All right. They, but these people were there for two hours at the top of their lungs. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Okay. I mean, they were stirred up about this whole thing, not wanting to give anybody opportunity to speak. And so finally, someone with a mind, he speaks up and, he's, and it's the city clerk. And he said he had quieted the crowd and he said, men of Ephesus. What man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. Now, there's a reason why this city clerk speaks up. Because Ephesus was one of the cities that was allowed to choose their own government officials. They had this liberty that the other cities didn't have within the Roman Empire. And because of this situation here, if the Romans would have looked at this as being some crazy something that was just out of you know control if they can't if their government can't control then guess what their other government's going to come in and control the situation and so what he's saying the, the city official isn't speaking up because he loves diana or because he loves you know the ephesians or because he even loves the people he just loves his position and he knows that his position is going to be in jeopardy if they don't chill out so he goes on to communicate to them tells them don't do anything rashly verse 37 for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess therefore if demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. In other words, he said, listen, there's a legal way to deal with stuff. If they have done something that is legally wrong, if they have done something that is illegitimate, something that goes against or violates our customs or something of that nature, they can bring it to court. They don't have to do this whole crazy, you know, riotous situation that is going on here. They don't have to do that. It goes on and communicates verse 39. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. In other words, listen, guys, there's no reason for us to have come together. And this is just a beautiful picture of how God uses someone who is not necessarily saved. Not necessarily walking with the Lord, but he uses him to defend the whole Christian church right there. He uses them to go on ahead and bring this whole thing down so nobody gets killed for no reason. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, let's all stand to our feet. Glory to God. You have a question? Yes.